0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Last week uh, we spoke about, do you remember what? I remember what, but maybe I should ask if you remember what. Sometimes Sunday afternoons you forget what (laughs) we've spoken about early in the morning. Yeah, true, true uh, indications of salvation, uh, whether Uh, you know you've got a uh, check engine light on in the life of your child uh, to use an automotive analogy or whether you have uh, all systems are green lights and uh, you know going at full speed so uh, we looked at the tests of life in first John and what I had done there was just took uh, the summary that I built up in my study in first John and we specially applied it to our young people and thought about uh, what indicators we should be looking for in our young people and also how a little bit about how what we should be cultivating in them and concerned about. And I want to talk a little bit more about that second aspect, but not so much today about uh, just you know, whether our young people are saved or not. But I put the title of the message, Parental Goals for Our Children. Parental goals for our children, and, and the truth that I'm trying to get across here is that God has given guidance about the outcome He desires when it comes to raising our children. So let's trust the Lord to help us as I make a few comments, and maybe we have some interaction here in the next half hour. By the way, welcome to those of you that are online. If you're watching uh, this morning, we welcome you and are glad that you're with us uh, that way through the uh, computer. Um, and thankful, by the way, for that technology. Boy, I think about you know, 10, 15 years ago, much more difficult to do that uh, sort of thing. And we're able to go online and order the equipment and uh, with some effort to hang it up there on the wall and get it to work. Uh, it works pretty well, so we're grateful for it. What are the goals that you have in raising your children? What are the goals that God reveals to us that we should have in raising our children? And do those two questions have the same answer? You know what I mean? Our goals and God's goals. Are our goals the same as God's goals or do we have something that's a little bit off to the side of what God has directed for us to have? So that's what I wanted to uh, investigate with you today. And so, I first asked the question, are the goals and where did I get this question? I just got it by sitting at my study and thinking about this topic, okay? I didn't, you know, come up with some grand scheme of organizing the message here so that it would, you know, lead you to some conclusion, but I just thought, first of all, are the goals that God has for us as we raise our children, are they gender-specific, are they gender-specific? And, of course, that's a pretty uh, loaded question today. I mean, 25 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago maybe, certainly 50 years ago or more, it would, that would not, would not raise the kind of feelings that it does today with the whole gender thing that's going on. But are the goals gender-specific? And my answer simply is yes, they are. How do we know that? Well, simply looking at any text of Scripture that talks about how men and women should be gives you the idea that if men and women are supposed to be this way, say, in their adult years, well, then that means that in their childhood development, we need to be moving them in those directions. So you look at Titus, 1, uh, sorry, Titus 2, 1 through 6, and you see that Paul is telling Titus how to address older men, older women, younger Men, younger women, right? And we looked at that. In fact, I have the, the two messages that I preached on that section, Titus 2, 1 through 10 right here from a year ago, and I'll refer to those if I need to here this morning. But um, Or Ephesians 5, you know, husbands do this, wives do this, the same kind of thing. Uh, you don't want to raise your girls to totally not have that stuff in mind when they're you know, young, because that's where they're headed if they're going to be Christian people. And the boys, <clears throat> the same thing. Uh, Colossians 3, again, husbands and wives. First Peter 3, 1 to 7, husbands and wives. First Corinthians 11, uh, men and women, uh, head coverings, length of hair issue, that whole thing comes up, and we can look at that in a moment as well. All of these give gender-specific instructions, not specifically for those under 18, obviously, but, you know, it doesn't matter that specific age. Now, the things of which we speak here will be general truths. Uh, I'm just giving you a little caveat here or a footnote to this message. Some of these things you may not be able to fulfill. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there's going to be specific cases where like uh, when we talk about raising children, you won't be able to do that if you can't have children. You know what I'm saying? So... Take that into account, but we're going to assume a healthy person and and we're going to also assume normal times, not like times of war, okay where there are certain features that you know things just have to be done in order to survive. Um, men go off to war, women have to do things that aren't well now today men and women go off to war, and who's left behind to <laughs> to uh, to be Rosie the riveter kind of thing or whatever you know you just there's different exigencies in that kind of situation we're not going to get in really into that we have to be wise to apply you know what is uh, scripture teaches in those kind of situations but we'll deal with that at another time some of course of these teachings will be difficult to apply some will be controversial in the eyes of the world i mean even for me to say that men and women should turn out differently now is controversial even though i don't intend it to be controversial i just you know, it's a basic truth of life that always did apply before, but people have shifted in their thinking so much today that it's become controversial. Uh, but we don't really matter or mind about that because God knows best. So whatever the world thinks is controversial, really just just goes off to the side. I mean, you know, who cares about what they think? Uh, we care about what God thinks. We you know we know the Bible is clear. We know the Bible is authoritative. We know the Bible is sufficient for what we need to know and, and practice in our lives, and uh, the world cannot intrude on that clarity and authority and sufficiency to uh, make us you know, change our direction or our mind about things. Now, also another caveat, there's another kind of set of goals or another major goal which we discussed last week, which is salvation. Obviously, that's like the most important thing, uh and that's a gender blind goal for our kids you know the evidences or tests that we examine should be true whether or not we have a boy or a girl that we're raising in our home and so you know don't take what i say today and be like oh pastor talked about all these goals but he didn't talk about salvation yeah well i spent the whole last message talking about salvation okay so we get we've got that under our our belt and uh what about now we move into uh, a different subject a little bit or topic and that is what are the things that should not be our goals for our kids for girls to be worldly successful is not a goal that god has for our young people for our for our young women uh you know if you set a goal i want my daughter to be a doctor I want my daughter to be divorce-proof. I want her to be a feminine version of a man. I want her to be fearful. I want her to prioritize being happy. Those aren't goals that we should strive for, are they? We don't want to raise fearful young women. We don't want to raise women who will, in some at some point in their future lives, say to their husband, I just want to be happy, and you don't make me happy, so I'm leaving to go find happiness. That's not Christian. That is not appropriate. We cannot teach our kids that way. Uh, We should not allow them to go down the path or the route of the world and become like a man, our young ladies, um, and so on. So those are not goals that God sets out for us to have for our girls or our young women. What about boys? Again, the same thing. The Bible does not lay out for us a goal that they would be worldly successful. Uh, it does not lay out for us a goal that our young men should be able to take it easy and avoid hard work, to be lazy, to get by with as little as possible, uh, a little effort as possible. They we're not taught to uh, teach our boys to avoid leadership and difficult things. It's not a goal to uh, allow them to look or act in a feminine way. The Bible does not permit us to teach our boys or practice to be cowardly or self-centered. Now, let me focus then on positive goals for girls and women first, and then for boys and men second, uh, ladies first, of course. Um, And I've given, let's see, I have four major categories of goals here. The first of these for women. And by the way, these notes are not on the website yet. You looked already. Uh, You looked already. (laughs) Uh, They can be there, but I wanted to read through them again and find any egregious typographical errors before I uh, put them out for public consumption. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, for, for girls, first of all, that our girls would be feminine, that they would be feminine in appearance. First of all, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, in fact, why don't we turn there? We have to use our Bibles in this here Bible church. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I have to remember, although I may be familiar with these passages, that I want to make sure that you are as well. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 6, it it. I'm not trying to get into all the details of this passage and the cultural aspects of it, but it does tell us something about a difference between men and women and about the appearance of femininity. For verse 6 says, if a woman is not covered, it's talking about covered while while praying, let her also be shorn. But if it's shameful for a woman to be shorn, in other words, to have very short hair or to be shaved, have her head shaved, let her be covered. So he's appealing to this notion of shame and personal appearance that a woman has that she should be covered in prayer because of how she is as a woman. Verses 14 and 15 also add this, "'Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering.'" I'm not sure that you needed divine revelation to figure that out, but there's just something in nature and how God has designed nature to be. And I'm not I'm not talking about like animal nature here. Okay, like you say, well the the lion, the male lion has a large mane. That's an op- opposite of what this is saying. This is not that kind of nature. This is like natural. Um, the in, the inbuilt nature of humanity that God has put in and Paul is exposing that and if you don't know this well now you do because it's in divine revelation if a woman has long hair it is a glory to her and if she and if a, a man does then it's a dishonor to him um I'm I'm how can I say it's, you know It's distressing when boys don't know what boys are to look like and girls don't know what girls are to look like to me. And this is a very interesting passage for us to dig into further, but it certainly tells us there's something about appearance that is important. And uh, God wants a woman to be distinctly feminine and a man, correspondingly, to be distinctly masculine. Now, that's going to be somewhat culturally informed, okay? I understand about, you know, modern uh, attire versus uh, togas in Rome and stuff like that, okay, and Scottish kilts and all that sort of thing, okay. Um, But there has to be a distinction. And why is that? Because God made them male and female. And he intends for there to be a distinction, which is a glorious distinction, because God made it that way, and he doesn't want that to be mixed. Whenever there's a mixture there, there is a a matter of sin involved, often in connection with sexual sin. Yes, today we have that all over the place, everywhere, in the media and everything. Now, that gets us to the matter of attire. So to be feminine in appearance, to be feminine in attire. Uh, Deuteronomy 22.5, and you say, well, we're dispensationalists here. Yes, we are, but there's a principle here, which I've alluded to already. In uh, 22.5, it says, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. So, however that applies in your cultural situation, uh, and I don't think it's harder than, you know, it's not like rocket science here, but men should not go around dressing like women and women should not go around dressing and looking like men and of course today the you know we that's been a problem for years and years transvestism it's called cross dressing or dressing as the opposite but now today of course it's far beyond that it's cross surgeries uh, cross hormone therapy and all of that stuff i mean if this is not in God's uh, design, Deuteronomy 22.5, all the rest of that stuff, which is way far outbound of that, is not even close. So to be feminine in appearance, to be feminine in attire, to be feminine in demeanor, Colossians 3, verse number 18. is just one example of this, Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's unfitting for wives to not be submissive to their husbands. In fact, I've said this dozens of times before in all of our marriage counseling sessions. Every text of the Bible that deals with the relationship of husbands and wives addresses the matter of husband headship and and the wife's submission. Loving headship and loving submission. Uh, And this is just one of them. So the demeanor as well. How do you teach this to your young people? Um, it's critical that mothers model this for their daughters and for their sons. Saying it does little good if it's not actually done in your home. Your life is so loud they can't hear what you are saying to them. They, humans are smart. You know we see through the facade. And of course, we recognize that there's imperfection in all of us in that practice, but if an imperfection comes up and you apologize for that and your kids saw it, they should see the apology, you know, and, and know that that was not right. So in demeanor. Um, and then finally, on, under the heading of girls should be a, a feminine, distinctly feminine is in character as well. In appearance and attire and demeanor and in character, uh, I'll just give you one from Proverbs that I remembered and found again in Proverbs 11. It says in verse uh, 22, "As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion." The the combination. I know that's <laughs> that sounds like a bad a bad verse. I guess if there is such a thing as a bad Bible verse, but. The combination of a beautiful thing with a ugly thing, just they don't go together. So the combination of a lovely woman who has no discretion, it just ruins the whole, how do you say, atmosphere, I guess you would say, Uh, so in character. Secondly, to be not only feminine, but also to be able to keep a home. We have to teach our daughters to be able to keep a home to teach them to raise their children, to teach them to love their husbands. This is Titus 2, uh, verses 4 and 5. Uh, You can go there if you want or just go from memory from our messages last year on it. Um, But in Titus 2, 4, it simply says that the older women are to admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed. I made the note last uh, year when we spoke on this. By the way, this was spoken to women, not all of whom had married their Prince Charming. Arranged marriages, right? Uh, maybe mom and dad uh, you know, thought a little differently than dear daughter did about the husband that, that she should take. That's a lot different of a context than what we live in today, you know, so... Uh, certainly applies today as well as it did back then. So the passage encompasses character traits and competencies that we as parents have to cultivate in our daughters. And I'll let you go back to that message. It's on the website there, same as it has been for a couple of years. Uh, all, the, all the notes are there. So you can see that and listen to it if you want or watch the live stream of the message, uh, the, uh, the recording of it. Um, So, again, let me say that again. We have to think in terms of our goals of developing character traits and competencies in our young people. They need to have character and skills to be able to live. There's no way that a young woman should, you know, become 18 and not know how to do these things, you know, in the home of course, she's going to do them in a, in, a, in a less experienced fashion than her mother does, but she should be learning them. Uh, third, uh, she should be well on the way to the kind of motherhood, uh, sorry, womanhood that we talked about in Titus 2.3. Here's, here's what that says, that the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So they're to be well on the way to that kind of womanhood taught in Titus. Older women were not very old by our standards in Bible times. I mean, when I preached on this, I told you certainly by the time a woman was 40, sorry, she was an older woman, okay? Uh, If you have the gray hairs appearing, you know, that's just the reality of it. When you lived maybe to fifty, by the time you were forty, you're pretty old. You know, now we don't think of forty as too old because you know forty is the new twenty-five or something. Maybe I'm being a little overboard there, but I mean, if we live to, if we hope to live to eighty. And by the way, that's not even now the average lifespan. Is the average lifespan is actually ratcheted down the last couple of years in the United States, which is sad to me, but. If you hope to make it to 80, you, know, you think 40 is kind of, well, it's not too old. You, know, you start to maybe think 60, 65. It's different. What's that? <laughs> Some of our older ladies are thinking, oh, dear. It is, it is um, something maybe we should talk about sometime in another context of what, what do you do when you look at your life and you realize that it's probably more than half over, more than three-quarters over. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't cheat. You can't cheat on this thing. It's appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. And so that does bring some sobriety to the matter, doesn't it? Um, One of the features of being this kind of a grown woman is to be able to teach children and minister in the home, and, and of course, minister in the church as well. So you want your daughters to achieve certain skills to be able to do that. Now, I haven't said anything in all of this, have I, about education? Notice, where does it say it in the Bible? Doesn't, but obviously there's some implication that if you want your uh, young women to grow up to be women who can teach their children, they need to be able to teach. They need to probably, you know, in our culture, obviously need to be able to know how to read and have some education and that sort of thing so that they can do that. And have a great influence on the next generation. These things should be taught and modeled so that they can be caught in the general atmosphere of the home. It's it's so interesting to me that you know in in home life, uh, home life in the first eighteen years or twenty years or however long you're at home until you move out that has such an impact on your life. When we go back and talk to people in counseling situations, they will they will skip over. The years from 20 to 50, like it didn't even happen. And their training in the church didn't happen, or whatever. And they, well, I wasn't shown that in the home, or I didn't, I didn't have that experience. Well, yeah, if you didn't grow up in a believing home, of course you didn't. You have to overcome that then. You know that is a liability, but um, it is so important what we have in our homes. And so for those of us that are Christians, we need to have a home that's looked back on by our young people for the next generation or two generations in a way that uh, it, it showed them good things and how to have a home that's right before the Lord. That's what I have about girls slash women. What about boys? And yes, yes. Can I ask a question about girls? You may. I find it's a difficult balance in today's world. Uh-huh. Yes. So for her, uh, an education beyond high school was not as important because that was the expectation that she would be married and working in her home. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe she's not going to find a husband until she's thirty or forty. And it's a tough call for what do you do in those intervening years to support yourself, mm-hmm. maybe the rest of your life to support yourself. Right. But that you could give it up if you got married and you had children. That's a tough place. So, what's the question? So what, do we, what do we teach our daughters? Ah, uh, yes. right that their education is enough that they could drop it and take care of their children if ever that were their job in life mhm um, so i am all for a young woman using her mind uh, or maybe the education isn't just about the mind maybe it's about skills but Let's say the mind, we're kind of in you know Ann Arbor university town. We think sort of like that a little more culturally. Uh, I'm all for her using that to the maximum of her capacity and potential. And I think that's God would have that. Be a good steward of what you have. You have time. Use that time wisely. Don't just while it away doing nothing. You have achieved a high school education. that's great. Uh, are, you, are you equipped to teach children that God may give you in a homeschooling situation? You, know, you might need a little more education than you know, just getting by with a high school diploma. I mean, um, maybe you don't have to, but maybe it would be, it would be good to. Uh, what about getting uh, a skill or a job? Well, think of the Proverbs 31 wife who is very diligent businesswoman oriented to being able to accomplish things for the home that was the centerpiece the trouble is when you focus 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 on education 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 then you can lock your daughter out of the joy and the glory and the obedience to god of raising a family because if she waits until she's 35 or doesn't have an opportunity until she's 35 or 40 to be married. It gets awfully hard to have have children at that point, as we all know, and uh, medically and scientifically and so on. So um, I'm going to encourage you by saying that misery loves company on that issue. (laughs) I understand the problem. Of course, I'm not raising any girls in our family. But as I think about that issue, I think, man, that would be very difficult. Um, you know, I think the same thing in another sense for the boys. I mean, where are they going to find a godly young woman to be married to? Because so many want to be worldly, worldly successful and highly educated, and they want to be a, a, a man with long hair, a man that wears a skirt. And a godly young man does not want to wear, does, does not want to marry a, a person who is like himself, trying to be a man. He wants to marry a woman, a real feminine woman. So um, the balance is as God has given, I think, Christy, as God has given opportunity, she should take, the young woman should take advantage of all those opportunities that she can. Um, With this key thing in mind, this is like, this may be intermediary for me. I may go and get an education, I may start teaching in a in a school, and then you know Mr. Wonderful comes along and I'm going to have to set that aside because I have more important priorities under God to do that. So if she's willing to hold on to that loosely, fine. But if she's going to be like a bulldog and say I've got to do this and that's going to mean I'm going to you know put my kids in in a daycare, and I'm not going to actually raise them and care for them and all that stuff, I have a problem with that. That's not appropriate under God in my view. Uh, remember, the caveats I said at the beginning, okay, on that. So, um, yeah, I'll think more about that maybe, and uh, I won't guarantee that I'll bring a message on that next week, but i think more about that. For boys and men uh, that we're trying to raise into young men, uh, we want them to be, Just like we want young women to be feminine, we want young men to be not toxic, okay? Get it out of your mind, all right? Masculinity is not toxic. When there is a problem, a lot of women want a toxic man on hand to be able to deal with the problem, yes? I'm not talking about real toxic. I'm just saying they want a man. You have an intruder in your home? You'd like to have a man there, a big burly fellow there, you know, behind a shotgun that would take care of that problem. Right? To be masculine. We talked about appearance and attire already. I kind of bled into the masculine side of it as well. But in demeanor, I add this in demeanor, to think or behave as a gay or soft man is not permissible for a Christian. Did I just say that? I did say that. Men are to be men. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, and uh, you have to love the King James Version at certain points. You don't know what it means, maybe, but you love it. It says, quit you like men. What does that mean? That means be courageous. That means behave yourself like a man. Don't be a wimp. Same idea in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 4 and verse number 9. Now, this is a little bit of a different context, but it just gives you the idea in uh, 1 Samuel, what did I say, 4, 9. It says this, um, the Philistines here heard the, the shout of the Israelites and the ark had come into the camp and verse, you know, obviously getting very fearful here, battle's about to begin and they say among themselves, be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews. Okay, So that also, I think, in the King James uses that word quit, which obviously is much older English than what we have. It's really like acquit yourself or conduct yourself like men. There is a distinction here, of course, between being a jerk and being a man. Okay? We're not talking about the Bible says, you know, conduct quit yourself like a jerk. No, it's not saying that, okay? It's not at all. That that might be more of the toxic side of it, but it's completely inappropriate for men to be jerks. It's also unholy for a woman to act like a man. Women are to act like women. And this is why personally I have a problem with sending women into war situations. Uh, it's, not, it's not nice. It's not pleasant. It's not becoming of their refined character as a woman. Um, you know, it's the men that go get their teeth dirty and uh, lose their teeth <laughs> and all that sort of thing. Uh, it's those men who go and shoot things up and destroy things and all of that. Women should not have to see that um, sort of thing. Uh, you know, again, I don't have a problem in times of war with women being nurses and helping men to recover from their injuries and all that sort of thing and whatever. Uh, men also are to be, secondly, not only masculine, but also to be self-controlled and sober and of sound mind. Titus two six. that's the one instruction that Paul gives to Titus to share with young men. He says, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. You know, not to be wild and crazy. Uh, it's not just sober from alcohol, but it's, the, it's a kind of attitude that a young man has. Settle down and be realistic. Don't be pie in the sky and, and uh, you know, wanting to spend all your money on your toys and that sort of thing. Like, get real here, kid. You know You're going to have to support a wife and children, have a home, uh, you know, certain level of responsibility. I was just thinking about this sad, sad, sad situation this week in the school there in Texas. And I wondered, you know, that young man who had these firearms and all of this stuff, was he even responsible enough to, like, have a home and pay his bills? So why is he deemed responsible enough to have this kind of deadly Weapon at his disposal and be able to walk around town and shoot the place up. Doesn't he? He he can't even he can't even figure to put a budget together. He doesn't have responsibility. Our young men need to be responsible, sober, self-controlled, temperate. They also need to be able to extract from uh, this world using hard work a living. Despite the curse genesis three seventeen to nineteen remember uh, 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 the curse on the serpent, the curse on the woman and childbirth, and the curse on the man, and you know you're going to go back to the dust of the ground, but in the meanwhile you've got to you know raise up for yourself food out of this cursed ground with thistles and thorns and and all of that and it's going to be in the sweat of your brow that you're going to do this. This implies that he in in our context is going to need to develop a set of skills and as well as character to be able to stick to hard work, and extract that living from the environment around him. Our boys need to learn an attitude of work, any work, digging ditches, you know, cleaning out sewers or anything else, mowing lawns and That sort of thing. They need to learn the attitude of work and also the skills. Now, this is not exclusive from young women. They also need to learn not to be lazy as well, to be diligent in their work. Uh, Whatever the aptitudes and interests are of the young man, you know, they may not be college bound, but they better be skillful in some things or apply their minds to the kinds of things that are demanded by employers in the current. Kind of setting in which we are. Why do I have to go to school? Well, if you don't go to school, you can't get the kind of jobs that are available in a high-tech, high-knowledge-based you know world. Now, notice I've I mentioned education a little bit. We talked about it with Christie's question, but this is a subpoint of a larger point. It's not the point, which is what society preaches today. Yes, I mean that's like. The Holy Grail is education. Um, if there is such a thing as a Holy Grail, it's certainly not education. Why do they do that? Well, see through why they do that. Education is a business, it is a big business that has trillions of dollars attached to it. And it's an industry. Now, maybe a business that we need to use sometimes with our holding our noses, but it's too much about money and retention of influence and indoctrination instead of the inculcation of skills and morality and knowledge. What does the uh, inscription say on Angel Hall? You Remember? From the Northwest Ordinance 1787, maybe. Uh, Religion, I think it is religion. Morality and knowledge being necessary to the something like prosperity of a free people. Institutions of higher learning are to be established. Now, they left the religion a long time ago, the morality a long time ago, and the knowledge, highly questionable. You look at that. I wrote on that years ago on my blog. You can find that somewhere. But uh, that's what used to be the ideal, not today. So. to be very careful about this whole industry, this whole—it's—it's it's a cottage industry. It's a machine, and now the government's taken over the loan side of it, so you're tied in with that, and the education lobby in the Department of Ed has all this control, and the money just keeps flowing, and the grants and the loans and all that to keep these professors paid, and not even professors—they make up such a small portion of the university faculty now. What portion of the university faculty is actually professors actively teaching students? Any idea? Somebody says 20%? It may be. But there are, there are gobs, this was years ago I, I, I knew this, gobs of people on, in Ann Arbor hidden away in administrative buildings that you've never seen or heard of that are doing work for the university. They, they are 15 layers removed from students. And when you pay tuition, you're paying for their their salary, it's a difficult thing to swallow. Fourthly, for young men, to be able to lead, to be able to lead a home at least, if not some other larger endeavors or outside of the home endeavors, they need to understand money and how to use it wisely and how to save it and how to invest it. Obviously, this, I think, also applies to women. You know, I, it's not appropriate for us to proudly be able to you know, say to ourselves or others, I know nothing about that, as if it's a badge of honor. Someday when the husband gets sick or dies, you're going to have to manage the finances. Likewise, if your wife dies, you're going to probably have to be able to maneuver in the kitchen. So you probably should cross-train a little bit. Um, You need some skills so you won't be taken in by a fraudster or make foolish decisions. Similarly, if you're a man and, and reject that participation around work in the home, what kind of a servant are you? you know, and maybe someday you're going to be left eating hot dogs and peanut butter all the time. Uh, I have nothing against hot dogs and peanut butter, by the way. They're very fine, but (laughs) as a diet three meals a day for weeks on end, I don't think so. Um, So don't be too proud to say, "I, I, I don't do that, you know. Have a service orientation. But anyway, these are the kinds of things we want to be inculcating. So one of my messages here is you've got to example that. You've got to model that. You've got to have your kids involved in just doing that sort of stuff side by side with you uh, in, in learning how to live life. You have no goals, you'll probably hit them. You'll produce something in your children, but it won't be as well-formed and high quality as it could be. So, and what if you don't have children? What if your children are grown? Well, you're not done parenting yet. Never are you not a parent if you had children. So you can continue to to cultivate those things in your young people. And also, if you have grandchildren, guess what? They need to learn from grandma and grandpa. Man, it's so important. I remember the role that my grandparents played in my life. Uh, Now all of them gone. But they had an outsized role for the amount of time that I spent with them because of the great wisdom that they were able to impart in that short amount of time. Some of you that have the gray hairs, you have that wisdom. You better be sharing it because there'll come a time when there's no more time to share the wisdom from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us as we think about this matter. And if we haven't given some formula for how to do it, at least we've spent some time meditating on your word and how it connects to our responsibilities as parents. Lord, I admit, and I know all of these folks here would as well, that there are things that we haven't done well, as well as we should. We've goofed. We've made major mistakes. We have not paid attention like we should. And I pray that you would cleanse us of that sin and forgive us and help us to do better moving forward. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.